I'm your host, Alexander Hefner, and you're listening to the audio podcast of The Open Mind. I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. I'm delighted to welcome our guest today, Coco Crumme. She's the author of the new book, Optimal Illusions, The False Promise of Optimization. Welcome, Coco. Glad to be here. Coco, what inspired you to write this book? You know, I um, a few things. I have worked um, for many years as an applied mathematician in the field of optimization. And um, I began as a total romantic about mathematics and its ability to capture the world in a lens, a productive lens through which to understand it. Um, And the more I, the more time I spent in these sort of centers of optimization like MIT and Silicon Valley, um, the more I started to see the darker sides of that romanticism and um, some of the trade-offs that we've, um, uh, whether consciously or, or unconsciously, admitted into our lives as a result of optimizing everything. So both on a professional and a personal level, I started to lose some of that romanticism. And the book came out of that. When we think of the word optimize, we think about increasing efficiency. Is that a correct thesis or understanding of, of what that concept is or no? Yeah, I think it's um, it's actually a pretty sophisticated understanding. I, I think some people, when they hear optimize, um, they simply think of the best, right? Um, when we see on a vitamin bottle, right, optimal nutrition, um, it's like, oh, that must be the best. Um, but I think, yeah, the this, this sort of more technical definition is around um, increasing efficiency or maximizing or making something better. When you alluded to the dark side, <laughs> do you mean it in the manipulation of data or do you mean it in terms of a thesis that we've explored explicitly on the open mind for the last many months and years, which is the idea that efficiency in technology is actually tied to or correlated with deficient outcomes for people's livelihood. So efficiency in technology is the net sum of that is creating deficiencies in our actual lives. I think I know how you would answer the question. (laughs) Um, But yeah, isn't that the dark side? Right, right. For sure. And what what expound on that? Because there's, again, there's the dark side of kind of manipulating data mm-hmm. and science of mathematical manipulation and how people are abusive with data. But then there's the dark side of the outcomes of the optimization. So I'm, I'm yeah, wondering. I see the distinction now. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I think it's both those things. And... I, what I talk about a lot in the book is uh, there's sort of a, an additional dark um, nuance to optimization is that as a way of understanding the world, 
it's encroached and taken over. So we now, um, you know, there's the process that might be dark. There's the outcomes that might be dark, as you, you talk about. Um, but there's also this belief that I think is pretty dark that optimization is the way we should be understanding the world, that we should always be seeking to make things more productive or, or more efficient, um, even if the results aren't dark, right? The, the results of a lot of optimizations are actually pretty bright and, and good and helpful, right? Um, but should, be, should we be, despite that, optimizing as much as we are? I don't know. You write in, in the introduction, um, optimization is a way of seeing the world that has overtaken most others in both modern America and much of the West. In fact, it has the peculiarity and an advantageous peculiarity in terms of its own ability to persist of rapidly crowding out others. Um, so let's just take optimization from your kind of day job in mathematics in, in a practical sense of what you what you mean by that, and then some more real life examples. But in your own career as a mathematician, where were um, you pushed to optimize, and and was the result in kind of exploitation of uh, people in in some way or another? I certainly don't think so, and I <laughs> would would hope not. I mean, I been careful about um, taking on work that, you know, I believe has some, some value and is in line with my own code of ethics. Um, I think there is always the, the potential of um, technologies to, to be misused or, or misapplied. Um, and you know, I, I think it's important to kind of restrict the domain, you know, when you're working in a, in a technical field, when, once you've decided, um, whether at the individual level or at a sort of corporate level, right, that um, an optimization is the right one, or that we should be engineering a system or optimizing a system, Right, the the actual act of optimizing is pretty value neutral, right? Um, I think there is, you know, we can get into. I think there are these sort of emergent concerns out of AI ethics and so on and so forth, um, and that's a, a that's a whole separate discussion, but. Once the, the algorithms themselves, I guess is what I'm saying, are, um, are value neutral, right? It's interesting you mentioned AI because in a sense, with ChatGPT, in, in the world of AI, um, it's such an open source platform now um, that, it, that it isn't constrained by a lot of the human considerations in like if you're making a product that has been subject to what we were calling in the last few years shrinkflation like the material concerns uh, that require companies whether it's airline airliners or um 
soda makers to optimize like with AI, it's, it's almost like a, I guess one of the benefits associated with it will be that it, it's kind of immune to the, the compulsory sort of the forced instinct of a lot of people to optimize and create greater efficiency. If, if um, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure I know what you mean. (laughs) It's, well, I, I think like AI can do basically any task at any moment, um, not replicating how a human would do it with their sense of humanity, but um, at least when it comes to like processing assignments that a human might give a computer, there, there, there are very few constraints, right? When I think of optimization, I think of it as a way now that people are trying to they may call it optimization, but in reality, what they're doing is trying to create more efficiency and a better bottom line in their company's output. And I'm, I, I think of it, I'm just responding to your mentioning AI because I, I'm thinking of it as a way that doesn't require us to have the same tunnel vision towards optimizing and creating efficiency. So I guess I'm not sure what you mean by AI then. Like, uh, you mean ChatGPT is, we've sort of hit the button and it's um, running semi-autonomously? Right. And And if you eventually, if you transfer that idea to an easier way to to make products that are going to suit people, like right now, would you agree that, that, the basic equation for optimization from from the perspective of most companies in these last few years has been, they may be calling it optimization, but it's really about cost cutting. Well, cost cutting is just one form of optimization, right? I'm not sure what they're calling it. They, they, these companies tend to call it whatever, uh, (laughs) whatever is going to resonate best with, with the public. Um, But Cost cutting is optimizing for, um, you know, having more revenues and with with less expenses or costs, right? It's it's a form of optimization, and there are other things they could certainly be optimizing for, like revenues. Um, they could be optimizing for some kind of softer metric, like consumer employee happiness um, or satisfaction. Right. Oh, that's that's a positive thought. <laughs> um, no, and some people, some companies do do that, um, whether it's a marketing uh, tactic or, you know, they actually are on some level optimizing for those things. You know, there are companies that claim to optimize for environmental outcomes, among other things. Um, right. So I think that the point is that optimization as a way of organizing, whether it's a corporation or organizing the way that we understand our daily lives has has really um, come to dominate our culture in the last decades and centuries. So take us through that history as you chronicle some of it in the book. Um, when did the idea of optimization really start trending in, in society? When did people think of it in the way that we're thinking of it now? Well, if, if you're asking about trending or, or how we think about it now, I think that... Um, is fairly recent. Um, I do in the book trace kind of optimization's longer history, which um, 
you know, the word itself dates back to um, a French novella called Candide by Voltaire, um, in which at least, the, you know, as far as the etymologists can trace back, that's the first use of um, something akin to the the idea of optimization, which is um, l'optimisme, which is the, the philosophy espoused by one of the characters in the book. Um, and it's this idea, it's sort of the a, a buffoon of a character, this this character named Professor Pangloss, who um, every time the the character, the other characters are are met with tragedy, or you know they encounter a bad situation. Professor Pangloss has kind of the the optimistic um, view on it that that things are you know they're they're living in the best of all possible worlds, and um, this earthquake that you know killed scores of people. Um, it was actually all all for the best, um, and personal tragedies that that befall um, individuals are are always for the best. So that idea of l'optimisme um, eventually evolved into the English word we know today as optimization, which is <clears throat> kind of a more active version of that, which is we're going to make the best of all possible worlds through our ingenuity or engineering. And how did you find different sectors, different industries, different people over time to, to define what it means to create, because I think of optimize also as creating ideal circumstances for um, conducive to, to growth, whether that's personal growth or economic growth. But I'm, I'm interested in what the criteria, ha uh, ha what criteria have been set up in different areas that you, that you write about to say, oh, this, this was a successful case of optimization versus something that was less successful or unsuccessful. Is there, is there a certain criteria defining optimal conditions? Like when you get to optimal conditions, you don't start at optimal conditions necessarily. How do, what defines when you get to them? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a separate question of how I chose the, the case studies in the book, but, um, how do we define a successful optimization, right? That's um, sort of baked into the technical definition of, of an optimization, right? We set up um, an objective function, which is what we're trying to maximize. And um, we set up some, some parameters or constraints. And um, then we, you know, one of several, ways that you know technology has afforded us right we, we solve that optimization and I suppose a successful optimization is one that gets as close to the theoretical optimal um, as we possibly can right so um, a, a corporation that's um, optimizing for shareholder value um, their success is defined by you know how how much that shareholder value in, improves over time, at least according to that narrow definition of success that they've they've set up through their optimization. The the areas where you focus, you focus on the oil industry, um, ecology, and the kind of contemporary farming, um, um, and and then Silicon Valley. Um, what what aspect of it did you enjoy thinking about the most um, in 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 the various stories that you're relaying in this book? Um, you know, I really enjoyed 
pretty much all the the people I <laughs> interacted with and who who lent something to to the story. Um, I just find people interested in interesting in in general, um, especially ones that are kind of um, you know embedded in a particular industry or on a particular quest. Um, so that was had a lot to do with um, how I. I chose some of the stories to tell, right? Whether I was compelled personally by these characters. And then, you know, it was a question of whether they would um, lend something to the overall story I was telling about optimization and, and how it came to, to be our, our dominant philosophy. But your ultimate thesis, I think, in, or at least you're, con you're concerned about optimization. I mean, I don't, want to say you think that it universally is failing us but what what do you think after all this study i mean i'm still fascinated by optimization both as a as a technology and as a mindset um i think i i set out to try to answer the question of how it became our our dominant philosophy um and i i do think the book you know comes up with an answer or answers to that question. I, I think the implied question is then, well, what, what comes next or, or what do we do? Um, and I tend to, you know, both because I, I don't want to sort of perpetuate this. So we, there's one best answer, right? <laughs> um, I, I don't think there's a best answer for, for what can we do? I don't um, have a prescription. Um, but I do, you know, I talk at the end of the book a lot about um, what I sense as kind of yearnings in society right now. And I do sense a lot of yearning to move away from optimization and especially the trade-offs um, and the losses that this singular mindset has, has brought. Um, so I think we see that a lot in... Um, you know, across the board, there are, um, in, in many communities, right, a, a desire to return to more local things, whether it's local foods or local makers and, and economies, um, to things that feel more tangible and, and real. And, you know, I've seen that happening um, everywhere from rural places to to urban places where there's a desire to, to buy things and to interact um, with um, makers and businesses that are connected to the community rather than abstracted away in some corporate headquarters somewhere else, right? Or in some other country. Um, I think it's also just expressed in um, a, a desire to get away from this kind of overly fast paced um, global churning economy, right? Um, whether that's in young people's choices of careers um, or choices of where to live or what communities to interact with or, or kind of the the pace of life that they're they're choosing. Um, so you know I don't know that that's a, a prescription, but I think it's um, sort of some strong signals about what what might be on the horizon. No that that's helpful and thoughtful um so your your suggestion 
is that people refocus um, on maybe the the quality of the business, the quality of the product, the quality of their life, not the speed at which they can achieve all those things. Um, and that's why I hear you saying that that that's what you. Yeah, and I don't know. The suggestion is I, I'm not sure. You know, it's 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 just what I hear people want, um, and not everybody, right? Some people love the the speed. You know, they're they're parts of it that I love too still, right? Um, I think it's fascinating that we live in this time, right, where we can order something from around the world and it can arrive at our doorstep in, in under 48 hours, right? And there's all kinds of like um, dark implications to that, right? Like what are the labor practices? What are, you know, um, where do some of these materials come from? Um, what are the downstream effects? Um, so I'm definitely not advocating for this sort of universal return to some supposed um, quieter golden age where we were all, you know, subsistence farmers and um, lived in, in harmony with nature, right? I, I don't actually think that moment exists. Um, but I do see kind of, a, you know, as a trend or on average, this um a, a step or two back from the over optimized um world that many of us participate in i think one of the concessions or conceits or admissions in that is that i think we both but i'll just speak for myself i see optimization as um the the reality of optimization as as outsourcing right you know in, from the domestic american perspective um, it's it's hurt blue collar America, but it's hurt all of America. Um, and, and I think that that if you, that's why I asked about the criteria for optimization or the the ethics governing optimization, because theoretically you can you can optimize in a way that's not going to force everybody to be in this multi second you know millisecond by millisecond economy. Um, where you have to be there, you can't take any, have any reprieve, have any solitude. So I, I very much hear what you're saying, and, and I think part of the responsibility of stakeholder capitalism or compassionate capitalism, or you know whatever you might want to call it, a socially conscious capitalism, is to refine and sometimes redefine the criteria for 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 optimization. Um, because if it is entirely tied to the profit motive um, and and the ease with which you can and the quickness by which you can achieve that profit motive, then I think it's things are not going to change. The culture is not going to change despite what you say, which is the longing, and I can testify that to that too, the longing for it to change. It won't change if we don't set a ru rules of the road or ethics governing, what what it means to successfully optimize there's certainly that perspective and and i think we hear it from the corporate world um we hear it from silicon valley that that um you know and i i tend to be a little bit cynical when i hear things like that um that you know we're it's sort of to paraphrase right it's like we're we've been optimizing for the wrong thing we've been optimizing for revenues we should actually be optimizing for um 
something something more quote unquote compassionate, right? Like um, it, uh, whatever right, environmental right. outcomes or social outcomes. And often, you know, I'm cynical because it's often simply a, a marketing ploy. Um, but I also think it distracts or, or it's an attractive kind of answer because it allows us to keep optimizing, right? We're just, op we're just changing what we're optimizing for. Right. And I think it's about quality versus quantity. And in so many respects, we optimize quantity over quality. And, you know, and then we don't get the fundamentals when it comes to quantity, like cost of living or actual um, longevity, right? Life expectancy has declined in the last several years, despite the fact that billionaires are throwing so much money on living in Ma on Mars or the moon forever, right? Mm -hmm. So they're there, there are priorities that do not reflect the, um, you know, the the body politics will, the longing that you referenced. And just as a final point, and maybe we the understanding can finally crystallize what I meant when I said that about AI and ChatGPT before. It's like it's an open canvas, and that's what's attractive in the sense of I'm going to have a five-hour date with ChatGPT to actually brainstorm ideas. And when I refer to it being kind of, in some respect, the opposite of efficiency, because it's regenerative of our imagination, even if we're dialoguing with a computer instead of another human being, there's something about it that is countercultural in a, a high-tech world, because if it gets the human mind to spend more time and attention with one subject matter and think it through... I think that helps us. That's really fascinating. That's the first time I've heard that argument for <laughs> for AI. I mean, I, I personally disagree. Now you bit. get it, right? <laughs> now you get where I was going with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it now. Um, I mean, I yeah, I I would personally disagree, but it's it's certainly a, a fascinating argument that um, AI is. Uh, you know, is a is an open ended diversion, or it it can serve that way. Um, I guess my question would be: I mean, <laughs> you know, it's still and and that's just one part of AI, right? The the ChatGPT side of it. Um, I guess it, it wouldn't be my preferred kind of. Um, way to, to experience open-ended creativity and diversion, but but I certainly see that argument. Coco, you have this new book. It's called The False Promise of Optimization. Optimal Illusions is the title. Thank you so much for your insight and for writing this book. Thank you. Please visit the Open Mind website at 13.org slash openmind to view this program online or to access over 1,500 other interviews. And do check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Open Mind TV for updates on future programming. Continuing production of The Open Mind has been made possible by grants from Anne Olnick, Joan Gans Cooney, Lawrence B. Benenson, 
the Engelson Family Foundation, Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, William and Flora Hewlett Foundation, Joanne and Kenneth Wellner Foundation, and from the corporate community, Mutual of America.